First, let's tell you about Keeps. If you're ready to keep your hair, Keeps can help you. You got a bald spot? Man, I got one that's driving me out of my mind. Jason is here today. His entire head is uh, a bald spot. Does he have a hairy spot on his head? That's the that's the real question. Um, all you have to do is go to keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash save, and you'll save 50% off your first order of hair loss treatments. That's keeps dot com slash save. You just take a couple of pictures of your uh, head. A licensed doctor reviews it, figures out which is the exact right uh uh, medicine hair loss treatment for you sends it directly to your door and you're done it's keeps k-e-e-p-s dot com slash save 50 percent off now we go to afghanistan next 15 seconds change our language we need to stop saying history repeats itself and start saying history is repeating itself in almost every aspect of our life history is repeating itself why because apparently we're not smart enough to know history or the people we've put into office ignore history we begin with the Taliban and Saigon in 60 seconds. The Glenn Beck Program. All right, our uh, spotlight sponsor this uh, half hour, let me look here, uh, is uh, Mercury Real Estate. Mercury Real Estate is realestateagentsitrust.com. We refer to it here as Mercury Real Estate because Mercury is my company, and this is my company. Um, this is a company that I, along with my brother, have personally started more of a personal mission because we we're both frustrated on trying to figure out how do we get, how do, how do you find the right real estate agent? How do you know what a good real estate agent is or a bad one? You just usually, we always just, I don't know, saw the bus stop on that guy or, you know, ask a friend. There is a method to the madness, and we can help you find the best real estate agent to help you buy or sell your home. I want you to go to realestateagentsitrust.com, read all about us, and then just tell us exactly where you're moving to or what you're trying to do, where you're selling your house, and we'll see if we can find the right real estate agent. We have thousands of them across the country. We may not have one in your area, but most likely we do. 
And when we do, we invite you to interview him yourself and see the difference. Realestateagentsitrust.com, a free service to you. Realestateagentsitrust.com. I think we need to go back in time to 1975. And it was 1975 in Saigon, April 30th. And this is what happened. Americans and other foreigners lined up at installations around Saigon waiting for buses with the queue. It told the Vietnamese that this was the end of the line. For most of those who wanted to leave their country, this would be their last chance. Some Americans who pushed towards the bus tried to pull their Vietnamese wives and children along with them. There were desperate scenes with families separated and crying out for help, pleading not to be left behind, clutching in the last straw of hope. We rode through the streets of Saigon for more than four hours, unable to find a way out or anyone who could tell us where to go. At Tonsonet Airport, armed paratroopers turned our buses back. At one point, we were unloaded on the Saigon waterfront, where we could see American helicopters circling the city, and Vietnamese trying to escape on boats heading to the sea. No one wanted to be left in this crowd that at times was strangely quiet, but that always was on the verge of panic. We all decided to try and reach the United States Embassy, and once there, we found it surrounded by Vietnamese looking for a way in and a way out. Helicopters were landing on the roof and inside the compound as we walked to the back of the embassy. We had to push and shove our way through a crowd of several hundred Vietnamese trying to scale the walls, only to be knocked back by U.S. Marines. Once inside the compound, for the Americans and those Vietnamese who managed to get in with legal documents, and the many who managed entrance without, the rest was easy. It was just a matter of waiting your turn for a helicopter to take you to one of the ships on station off the Vietnamese coast. Now, back in July of this year, here is a press conference with Joe Biden on the uh, the end of the war in Afghanistan. Listen. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They, did not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. So what is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. The question is, will they generate the kind of cohesion to do it? This weekend, we saw the most humiliating um, evacuation of the American, the billion dollar American embassy. 
we have been treated to the pictures and the video of the Taliban coming in now supported by U.S. drones. Why? Because apparently our military left them behind along with a gigantic cache of weapons. We didn't feel it was necessary to take them back. We have put ourselves back into the exact situation we were in on September 10th, 2001. What's worse? Imagine if we would have gone into Germany and beat the Germans, but we knew that Nazis were in hiding and they were everywhere and we decided to leave. And the Nazis took power again. Do you think they would fear the United States? Do you think anyone on earth would fear the United States or would they say there's no appetite for war? They all you have to do is wait them out. We've already sent that message in Vietnam. But Joe Biden has sent that message unlike any other time in American history. Our allies have called emergency meetings without us. Our allies, England, France, they are all now scrambling, saying we cannot allow this to stand. But they now know they're in a leadership role because we're gone and we left them with military weapons and drones. I wanted to bring in uh, Jason Buttrill, who is our head researcher. And when I saw him this morning, I noticed that his eyes were all puffy, either lack of sleep, allergies, or a very stressful weekend. He was in Afghanistan, one of the first Marines to go in to Afghanistan and fight there. Jason, how are you? Um, pissed off, I think, is the more accurate, safe way to describe how I feel today. Um, I was one of the lucky ones. I was one of the ones that uh, had a mission when we went there. Uh, you know, we saw the first bombs drop. We fired the first shots, and our mission was clear. Uh, kill the Taliban, kill al-Qaeda. Um, knock them out of government. And that was my mission, and I'm glad that was the only mission. Because the follow-on mission, and I saw it in the faces of the people that relieved us, the occupation force, they didn't really know what the hell their mission was. And I can tell you that that continued for 20 years. Um, that continued for 20 years. The people on the ground would tell anyone what the situation was. And that was, we cannot trust this military. Now, there are some good Afghan fighters, and I tip my hat to them. And I think a lot of us that fought there could probably name them by name. Um, some very brave men, the Afghan people are. But as a whole, the Afghan army could not be trusted. Um, we would get the news reports for years. You know, U.S. soldiers shot in the back. Um, where did those news reports go? 
Uh, I stopped seeing them because apparently U.S. soldiers became a statistic not worthy of anything more. Um, and that proceeded for another 20, you know, 19, 20 years. Um, now, you got to look back and say, what was your plan? As many of us were getting shot in the back by these people. Because apparently, someone in the Biden administration was telling them that they were fine, they were good to go. They were good to go. You played that clip a month ago. They were good to go. Now, who was telling the president that? Was the president lying when he said the intelligence community was telling you they're not ready? I, I, I don't know, but as I saw this morning, there were leaks were starting to come predictably out of the intelligence community saying, no, no, we were telling him the situation was not tenable. It, 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 th this was going to happen, and it did happen. So was it the military personnel? I wanted to give you a little context of the military personnel on the ground. Um, back when ISIS swept through Syria and, and Iraq, uh, the head of CENTCOM was General Lloyd Austin. He was a he they, the commanding general when they said, hey, um, you know, the, what's going on right now, uh, it seems a little fishy. Why are the news, why are the intelligence reports coming out saying that uh, everything's rosy when the situation was not rosy? Well, the scandal came out, the intelligence reports were being doctored just to make the administration look good. To make President Obama look good. General Lloyd Austin, for some reason, didn't go down for that. He's now the Secretary of Defense. So is this any surprise at all that these people are now in command? Uh, it's, it's not a surprise to me at all. It's a simultaneously uh, simultaneous throat and gut punch uh, today uh, from England. The, um, the fact that the Pentagon has been focused on woke politics. Any comment on their focus? Yeah, General Milley, where's your resignation? That's what I'd like to know. Um, you're so focused on that for standing down the military for what was it, a week to a month? I can't remember what it was to address extremism in the military. Is that what you were focused on and not listening to your battle commanders on the ground? Is that possibly what was happening? I would love to hear from General Milley. I'd love for him to call in this morning just so we could ask him, do you plan on resigning? I would love to know. We're reaching out to General Milley, um, asking him to join us today, and also asking just for a statement on the question, are you resigning? But it's, it's, and it's not just him. It's the entire government is focused on that. And we pointed that out, the Department of Homeland Security, the intelligence community, they all made a hard pivot towards wokeness and extremism in the military. They, they never did this when, uh, you know, we found out that there were terrorists in the military, uh, the, you know, back during the Fort Hood uh, shooting uh, in Texas. Uh, they never stood the military down then. They never did what they were doing now. Why? Well, I mean... I'm sure they were doing their investigations, but it's probably not a good thing to reorient the entire thinking of the military and intelligence community during times of crisis. That's what we're in right now. And what's amazing to me is all the excuses, Glenn, all the excuses. First, now, we're not hearing anything from the administration now. Apparently, we don't rate a explanation from this administration. Well, I mean, they're still on vacation. Biden's still on vacation. Saki's gone on vacation. Um, which is weird, but apparently that we don't we don't rate any other kind of explanation. We got that one ridiculous statement that um, uh, Nancy Pelosi was praising uh, yesterday. But that one ridiculous statement where the president was like, "Well, apparently, you know, I inherited this from the Trump administration." Get out! You cannot have it both ways. You cannot go in day one of your administration with this big spectacle of signing executive orders, erasing everything the president did. 
erasing all of his personnel from your cabinet, getting rid of all the bureaucrats and everything that Trump put in, and now say in this one instance, it was his fault. We don't even know what Trump's plan was. I, I was a critic on Friday when I came on and said, look, we shouldn't have been getting out of there in the summer months period, um, which I think that was part of Trump's uh, plan. Right. We should have waited till the winter, but I don't know what the rest of his plan was. You can't say everything else he did was bad. What he planned in Afghanistan, we stuck to. Oh, so that was the one thing, huh? That was the one thing you stuck to. Now it's his fault. And we also saw from General Lloyd Austin. He was very, very clear. He's like, well, you know, um, it's really crazy. You know, the, the Afghan army, it's, you know, it's all on them. No, again, you can't put it on the Afghan army. You can't have it both ways. You can't say a month ago, all signs point to they're ready. They're capable. They can defend. So that, and because of that, that's why we're getting out. But today... The day that Afghans falling, Afghanistan's falling, and the day after, you're saying, oh, it's all on them. You cannot have it both ways on this. I want mass resignations on this. Massive resignations for this. And if Congress doesn't have the balls to hold them to it, then I want a Daniel Ellsberg-esque whistleblower somewhere within the intel community, which I think it's going to happen because they're not going down for this. Intelligence community is not going down for this. You saw them weaponize against Trump. They will weaponize against President Biden. Almost guarantee it. But we need someone to leak who is to blame for that. Who is feeding false information? What do they have to gain? Do you believe they were feeding false information? Or do you believe that they just didn't care? The White House didn't care. I absolutely believe they were uh, um, uh, funneling false information. Absolutely. I mean, you saw it in with this is how it works. You saw it in ISIS. It becomes political. Dead soldiers become statistics. They really do. And that does not look good for administrations. And I think this goes for 20 years. But I absolutely think people are involved with saying, look, there's a very rosy picture. We got it all under control. I think it's time we get those people out of the establishment ASAP. Back in just a second. First, let me tell you about American financing. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Mortgage rates are still hovering at historic lows, and you could probably just to go but just about anywhere to save money with mortgage refinancing or debt consolidation loans. But that doesn't mean you should. The reason that this is the only mortgage lender that I have ever recommended, American Financing, the reason is I believe in them. I I put them to the test in 2007 when they called up the first time and said, we would like to sponsor, be a sponsor on your show. And I said, I don't think so. They said, why? And I said, because I don't believe mortgage companies are on the up and up. They are currently jamming people into these mortgages that are stupid and you're all going to pay for it. (laughs) Um, a, they didn't pay for it because they didn't do that to the people that were getting mortgages. Um, and the rest of the banks, they didn't pay for it because we ended up paying for TARP. Well, American financing has never been a part of any of that. In fact, they don't work for the banks. They work for you. So I want you, if you are looking to save money and you can refinance your mortgage, you have a mortgage rate over 4%, or you have high interest credit cards, pay them off. Go to American Financing at 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440, AmericanFinancing.net. 10 seconds, station ID.
Nancy Pelosi said that Joe Biden is to be, quote, commended for the action he has taken in Afghanistan. She said the Taliban must know that the world is watching its actions. We are deeply concerned about the reports regarding the Taliban's brutal treatment of all Afghans, especially women and girls. The U.S., the international community, and the Afghan government must do everything we can do to protect women and girls from inhumane treatment by the Taliban. Any political settlement that the Afghans pursue to avert bloodshed must include having women at the table. (laughs) The fate of women and girls in Afghanistan is crucial to the future of Afghanistan, and we strive to assist women. We must recognize that their voices are important. And all must listen to them for solutions respectful of their culture. There, there is bipartisan support to assist the women and girls of Afghanistan. Jason? I think the Taliban were going to, you know, put Sharia in place. But when they saw that tweet, they probably said, okay, fine. You know, we'll do a Western-style democracy now. Now we get it. Yeah. It is, uh, it's remarkable to me. How we have left so many people behind. Have have any of you guys seen the um, the the graphic videos? Can we roll this, please? Of just walking down the street. These are people, the dead bodies in the street. This is just the people that, as the Taliban was coming through, they pulled out of houses, they pulled out of their cars, and just shot them and left them on the streets. Nobody's willing to come and get them because the Taliban would like them to remain in the streets as a reminder that they are back. We told you last Friday that they were already going door to door, taking girls as young as 12 for their brides. When we come back, I am going to uh, share with you How the New York Times is spinning this. It is, it's Durante all over again. It is the apologist for Stalin all over again. It's coming up in just a second. Stand by. It's Monday. Army matey. You know, uh, you know what we can't stand is uh, working five days a week out on the high sea, swearing and murdering and interacting in an ungentlemanly fashion with the female workers at the local tavern. Only to come home and sit down on the couch and watch a movie with me and my family and see all that nonsense on TV. Uh, really, honestly, uh, what you're seeing on television right now and in all of the movies is changing us as a culture. And if you are like me and you're tired of going, OK, there's nothing on TV to watch. There is nothing without really bad language or steamy sex scenes or whatever it is. 
and I don't want to watch that with my children, then you need VidAngel. It allows you to filter out the things you don't want to see. You make all the decisions because you're in charge. VidAngelBeck.com. Try it for a dollar. Use promo code Beck1. Try it for a month for a buck. VidAngelBeck.com. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn is the place to go to get your subscription to Blaze TV. Use the promo code Glenn to save 10 bucks. Hey, the Taliban uh, had a press conference yesterday at the presidential palace, and they did this, uh, cut five. They were uh, singing the Quran, which is beautiful and lovely, and I love this particular tune. Uh, You know who didn't have a press conference? The White House. You know who didn't, wasn't seen in public? Joe Biden. Where's Joe Biden? Why is he not speaking out? Where was he? As the masses try to flee from Kabul, prisoners have been released. Only 5,000 prisoners were released. This is the video of it in the audio. 5,000 prisoners, some of them Al-Qaeda, some of them Taliban, and they were just released, probably because of COVID. I think the Taliban is concerned with the spread of COVID in the prisons and wanted to find, um, you know, some way to deal with it. And they looked to Bill de Blasio uh, and Gavin Newsom, and they decided just to open up the prisons because of COVID, I'm sure nothing uh, will uh, will go wrong there. Meanwhile, um, the worst is happening. I want to I want to give you a story from the New York Times. Now, listen to how this story you've seen the pictures, you know what's going on. Listen to this. It was his first day as the Taliban-appointed mayor of Kunduz. His name is Gol Mohammed Elias. He was on a charm offensive. Last Sunday, the insurgents seized control of the city in northern Afghanistan, which is in shambles after weeks of fighting. Power lines were down. Water supply, powered by generators, didn't reach most residents. Trash and rubble littered the streets. The civil servants who could fix these problems were hiding at home, terrified of the Taliban's return. So the insurgent commander turned mayor, summoned some to his new office and persuaded them to return to work. He said, quote, our jihad is not with you in the municipality. Our jihad is against the occupiers and those who defend the occupiers. Mr. Elias told the New York Times by telephone. But day by day, as municipal offices stayed mostly empty, Mr. Elias grew more frustrated and his uh, his rhetoric grew a little harsher. Taliban fighters began going door to door, searching for absentee civil workers. Hundreds of armed men set up checkpoints across the city. At the entrance to the regional hospital, a new notice appeared on the wall. Employees must return to work or face punishment from the Taliban. 
Just a week after the fall of the city, the first in a series of cities that the Taliban seized with breathtaking speed, the insurgents are now in effective control of all of Afghanistan, and they now must function as administrators that can provide basic services to hundreds of thousands of people. And the experience of those in Kunduz offers a glimpse of how the Taliban may govern and what may be in store for the rest of the country. In just days, the insurgents, frustrated with their failed efforts to cajole civilian uh, civil servants back into work, began instilling a little terror, according to the residents reached by telephone. I'm afraid because I don't know what will happen next or what they will do, said one who asked not to be identified for fear of retaliation by the Taliban. Three days after the Taliban took control of Kunduz, the civil, a civil servant received a call from an insurgent fighter telling him to go to his office. The mayor of Kunduz wanted to speak with him. The mayor uh, invited Mr. Omar Hill, uh, who had been staying home since the retreat of the government forces as insurgents flooded into the streets and a sense of unease gripped the battered city. He had experienced a similar moment twice before when the Taliban briefly in 2015 and 2016 seized the city. Both times the insurgents were pushed back with the help of American airstrikes. But this time, days after the Taliban took control, the entire Afghan army corps charged with reclaiming the city surrendered to the insurgents. They handed over all their weapons and vehicles in a stark sign that they would not be rescued. When he arrived at the municipal office to speak to the new mayor, the sprawling compound looked eerily untouched by war. But the New York Times writes, inside the building, he joined eight municipal employees and Mr. Elias, you know, the new mayor. He introduced himself as the new mayor. A young man with a long beard, Mr. Elias assured them that they would not be targeted by the Taliban and instructed them to return to work to improve people's lives and morale. Sharing his mobile number, he told them, call if you have any trouble with the Taliban fighters. We've captured the city, and now we can assure the people that we will provide the basic services. The mayor was quoted in another phone interview. Halfway through the meeting, a shopkeeper pleaded with the Taliban bodyguard to see the mayor. Like hundreds of others, his kiosk had been mostly destroyed by fire during the Taliban's final push. He said shopkeepers, fearing for what remained of their stores that they would be looted, wanted the Taliban's promise that they could return to the market to collect their things safely. The mayor complied. He even provided reimbursement for the taxi and bus fare that they spent on moving their goods. For the rest of the day, the mayor met with other municipal leaders trying to get services restored. At the state-owned Water and Sewage Corporation, he demanded that the water supply be turned back on. When a manager told him the power lines would first have to be repaired, he told the director of the electricity department to compel his employees to return. At the local health department, the new Taliban director of health delivered the same message to the hospital staff. And insurgent fighters gave water to the health workers and offered 500 Afghanis, around $6, to each of the hospital guards to pay for a dinner that night. There was some good progress, writes the New York Times. Oh, my gosh. 
I bet they get a Nobel Prize for this. I bet they get. I, I bet they, they, they. It's got to win a Pulitzer, don't you think? Did Rashida Tlaib and uh, Ilan Omar write that article? Was uh, that isn't that amazing? <laughs> isn't that amazing? I will say that the, the Times did write some pretty devastating things about this as well, and along with a lot of other mainstream media. I mean, it, it, a lot of these headlines. The Atlantic. Uh, this headline is Biden's betrayal of Afghans will live in infamy. And there's a lot. I think just how quickly and how terribly this has turned has even shaken some of the mainstream media people. Now, of course, they'll probably come back uh, eventually here. But I was surprised to see the even mainstream coverage being largely critical, with the exception, of course, notably of what you just read, which was pathetic. Um, the fecklessness. This one is uh, written by the bulwark.com. I like this one. The fecklessness is not limited to Biden himself. His wider administration is complicit. State Department spokesman Ned Price has conceded the Taliban is already committing war times, but he warned them that if they continue, they'd be internationally isolated. Oh, not into really internationally isolated. <laughs> Oh, boy, they're going to be canceled. <laughs> Culpability for the disaster rests on one other place, they write. The American people. Hmm. White House officials have privately reassured themselves by noting that polls show an overwhelming majority of Americans support withdrawing the troops from Afghanistan, according to The Hill. So the Biden team's fine reassurance in the fact that most Americans don't care about the risk of another 9-11, ethnic cleansing, or the destruction of a future for Afghan women. Really? So they are blaming the American people for that. A, that's what leadership is all about. And B, I don't know about you, but... I do care about the women and the children and the future of the women and children in Afghanistan. I do care about the risk oh. of another 9-11. I do care about ethnic cleansing. I just don't want to be there forever with no mission. It doesn't mean, oh, I don't care. Just pull out and let the whole thing collapse and let evil just win and sweep a nation. What evidence do you have that you care about women in the Middle East being uh, tortured? Uh, uh, I mean, you know, only it's not the like Nazarene you, fund. Right. That's it. Just that's the Nazarene it. fund. But I mean, this is uh, every, there are a lot of people who wanted to get out of there. I mean, everyone wants to get out yes. of there at some level. The idea was to get out of there with some level of competence. It wasn't just like let the entire thing go to flames and have the Taliban inside the presidential palace in two days. No one supported that. Yes, there was a there's an idea that people didn't want to be engaged in this area forever, but that was to go along with that was the idea that it wouldn't turn into exactly what it turned into in two days in two days. I mean, you were talking about this, Jason. We, we mentioned this off the air. You were here. You're on my show. I don't know a few months ago and you said, yeah, I, I, it's going to be back in Taliban control in six months. And you came on here the other day and you said, hey, well, I think it might be till September 11th. We didn't even make it till Monday. That, that was a show we did on Friday. And they were in taking pictures and doing press conferences and singing inside the presidential palace two days later. The, this is the, the, the most catastrophic handling of any situation of any president in my lifetime. I've never seen anything like this. I'm continually 
blown away all weekend at how pathetic this is. I've never seen anything like it. Have you ever seen anything like this? Yeah, I. But, but I am older than you. Yeah. So I saw um, Iran with Jimmy Carter, mm. and I saw with... But, but uh, again, like that, Iran with Jimmy... We didn't have control of Iran, right? Like this is... this. Is, this we were an embassy in, inside of another country. This is, Yes, I understand that we, you know, we are also an embassy in another country in Afghanistan, but, but that was under our control and our direction for 20 years. I was also going to say, I'm old enough to remember, and I think it was Ford... When we pulled out of Vietnam. Yeah. Saigon is the one thing people go back to. And everyone knew. Everyone knew. The argument was, we pull out, the communist will come in and slaughter all of these Mm -hmm. people. And it's going to be a very bad thing. No, no, no. They're going to be prepared. It's going to be fine. We can leave. You know, it's just a bloodbath over there. And we shouldn't be involved in blah, 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 blah. And they were climbing over the fences of our embassy. And when, I love this, when uh, Blinken said, you know, this is definitely not not Saigon. You are not going to see helicopters land on the roof of our embassy. No, you know why? Because our billion-dollar embassy had a helicopter landing pad down on the ground, not on the roof like we did in Saigon. <laughs> not to mention it's not even our embassy anymore. No, it's not. We put a billion dollars into the thing billion. and we just, just handed it over to them. I mean, at least, though, in Saigon, you know, test me on my history here, but... We knew this was coming in, in Saigon. Yeah, yeah, we did. And we evacuated a lot of the Americans, and we left a specific number. I want to say it was 1,500, or I can't remember exactly how many it was, which was our 1,250. That was our belief that we could get, we could uh, evacuate those people before the Taliban, or in this case, uh, the Vietnamese, uh, got there, uh, the northern Vietnamese. Correct. So the situation was like, we then started evacuating the Vietnamese that we wanted to get out and we had this plan that okay once they hit this point when we have to start taking the Americans out and that's why it was such a close call but we knew and, it was coming for months right and we were evacuating those who helped us yeah and we he, didn't if we aren't evacuating the people who helped us that was our complaint two weeks ago mm-hmm. now yeah. we're going to be lucky to get the Americans out we had to send troops in to evacuate our own people. Yeah, but only 5,000. Which it continues to escalate. We're going to have about 100,000 troops on the airport by next week. I think, I think the, the, the newest figures were 6,000 to secure that airport. An which, airport. again, was more than double what we had when we said we were going to get them out. We had around 3,500, something like that. Incredible. It's incredible. Back in <laughs> just a minute. Let me tell you about Bilt Bar. Um... <laughs> You know, when you when I'm not here, you know me well enough to know I am usually just working out. I'm on the treadmill lifting weights, you know, playing dance dance revolution. I'm sweating to the oldies. Usually. I mean, it's hmm? that's you. You're right. It is. And I work out so much. I barely have any time to eat. I mean, look at me. I'm wasting away Mm. anyway. Good thing there's always time for a delicious snack. And I mean several times a day for me. There is time for a delicious snack. And that snack is Built Bar. For a limited time, you, they have the, uh, the, the box where you could get 
two of each of the nine flavors and limited time flavors occasionally. Plus, you can get 15% off your order. This is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's unbelievable. Uh, The highest in calories, I think, is about 180. They're usually around 130. They are uh, low in carbs. It is great. Built.com. Use the promo code BEC15 and save 15% off your order right now. BEC15 at Built.com. The Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. So what happened to the uh, president of Afghanistan? I, I know that he uh, uh, he he had a peaceful transition of power <laughs> at gunpoint. Um, and he cut a video with his daughters saying, please don't kill all of the innocent women. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, he had his pick of stands to go to. And really? the rumor is he went to either Tajikistan or Uzbekistan. But he didn't stay in Afghanistan. That much we definitely know. Mm -hmm. As the evacuation continues, we continue to bring coverage from all sides, you know, that are sane. Coming up. This is the Glenn Beck Program.